Friends, our reading today comes to us from Matthew chapter 6, and out of reverence for the gospel words, I invite you to stand as you're able. Hear these words. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, thank you, Andrew, for our scripture reading this morning. And I'm so grateful for all of the beautiful music we've been able to hear and what's been offered up in worship already. And I'm especially thankful for that chancel choir piece just preparing us as we approach the table to remember what Christ has done for us. Um, A few years ago, uh, Caroline's in here, so I'll be looking at her a lot while I tell this story. Uh, We had the opportunity to go tubing on the Chattahoochee River, uh, which I've learned is locally called shooting the hooch. So We had some friends in town from Nashville, and they were coming to visit, and we wanted a relaxing day, so we put on our bathing suits and sunscreen, and we rented a tube, and uh, we got our tubes and our life jackets from this this guy that I'll just say, he was very mellow, and he handed us our stuff and was like, have fun, And, and I asked him, is there anything we need to know before we get started on the river? We'd never been on this before, and he said, nah, man, he said, oh, actually, there's a split in the river, and just make sure you stay left. And so I, we said, okay. And we got in the river, and it started off good. We were having a good time. We were catching up and uh, relaxing. Uh, but then the current started to pick up, uh, and we ended up being in a little bit of white water, and we were steering around rocks, you know, how you do in a tube. It's not a very efficient process, but we were doing our best. And uh, th- it picked up more and more. We weren't restful at all at this point. We were just kind of fearful for our lives. And a little bit later, we turned this corner, uh, and there was the split in the river. Uh, and I remembered we needed to be left, but the current was whoosh, all to the right. We didn't, we didn't have a chance. We were doing our, our best, but we weren't getting anywhere. We got swept away. And so we were wondering what was going to happen, and it turns out uh, this split in the river rejoined later on at this very wide portion of the Chattahoochee. And the only word I can des- use to describe this scene is just complete and utter chaos. Uh, because it turns out, right there on the left side of this wide part of the river was where you were supposed to get out of your tube. And so that's where the shuttles were. But everybody was way over here, because that's where the current took you. And, I mean, it was... There were police cars up on a bridge ahead with sirens going. There's river rescue crews throwing ropes out to people. People were hanging onto trees for dear life. And we ended up, we threw on our life jackets and just ditched our tubes. They're just gone. Uh, they're somewhere in the Gulf of Mexico. Sorry, nature. And we, we swam over to the side, and we just had to hike it back up. Uh, 
And we made it back, and we actually got shuttled back to our cars by a river rescue crew, and they were just shaking their heads the whole time saying, why did they let anyone out on the river today? The dams were open. That was crazy. And all I could think is I was so mad at this super mellow guy at the beginning that just gave us our tubes and was like, have fun, because he didn't, he didn't warn us about what was to come. There was a very strong current that we didn't know about. And honestly, it's going to be a little while before I'm on the Chattahoochee River again. Uh, Well, our scripture reading today reads like a warning from Jesus, someone who is trying to warn us sufficiently about what's coming. And you might be familiar with this scripture reading. You've probably heard it before. It comes from the Sermon on the Mount, which in the Gospel of Matthew is Jesus's quintessential teachings on what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a disciple. This is Christianity 101, and he tells his disciples and everyone listening there, that we need to stop storing up so much stuff here, focusing on the material, and instead focus on storing up those eternal things, those things that bring us joy, those things that will last in heaven. And he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what he was warning us about is here on earth, there's a very strong current pulling us in the way of wealth. We especially have a strong current here in our country. Uh, Our statistics, when we look at them about the United States, indicate that we have a big problem with stuff. On average, Americans make five impulse purchases every month, which uh, I felt a little convicted when I read that. Every year, just for clothes in the United States, clothing, we throw out more than 34 billion pounds of textiles per year. Just to put that into perspective, when you divide that amongst the U.S. population, that is 100 pounds of clothing thrown into the dump per person per year in the United States. 100 pounds. One booming industry that we have that's building up is self-storage. Storage units are getting built all over the United States. 21% of Americans store some of their things in a storage unit, and another 15% so that they plan to do so in the future. We have a love affair with stuff, with trinkets and gadgets and treasures, material things. And the funny thing is, most of the time, if we stop to think about it, those things that we buy aren't even things that we enjoy, at least not for long. We've made a habit of giving our money to the fleeting stuff rather than using our money for the things we love. Our treasures don't match up with where our heart is. (laughs) This is one of those uh, scriptures that I wish I could go in with some whiteout and a pen and flip it around. (laughs) Because what I wish Jesus had said was, where your heart is determines where your treasures will be. Wouldn't that be so much easier, right? If the things that we said were most important to us were naturally the things that received our time and our energy and our resources. If we could just say, I I believe it's most important for me to love God and love neighbor, and then whoosh, the current would shift, and it would be so easy to go in that direction, and we wouldn't even have to think about it, and we would be fulfilled. It would be life-giving and joyful and natural. But unfortunately, Jesus warns us that the opposite is true. He didn't say, where your heart is, there your treasures will be. He said, where your treasures are, your heart will be also. And the current... The water that we swim in in our culture is serving wealth. It is pulling us toward this love affair with stuff, this myth that we will always need more and that next thing will finally make us happy. 
And if we don't make habits that steer us back toward living generously and serving Jesus, then serving money is where we're going to end up. It turns out that giving and generosity always have to be by design. That never happens by default. Stanley Hauerwas, who's a professor at Duke Theological Seminary and one of the leading theologians today, he says that this is one of the most difficult parts of being a disciple. He says Christianity is not just a set of beliefs or doctrines you believe in order to be Christian, but rather Christianity is to have your body shaped and your habits determined in a manner that the worship of God is unavoidable. Our habits shape us to worship God. It's not enough for us to say out loud, I believe in loving God and loving my neighbor and hope that the belief is enough. Our life needs to be shaped according to that belief, and that takes planning. It takes breaking old habits and starting new ones. John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist movement that eventually became our denomination, he had a visceral experience with wealth and giving that changed his perspective forever. He was at Oxford College in England at the time, and he had just gotten his master's degree and gotten his first job at a position there at the college, and he was making a tidy sum of 30 pounds per year. He was 28 years old, and that was enough to live on and a little bit extra. And there was a cold, wet, and snowy day. There had been a winter storm. It was the kind of day where you had no business being outside unless you absolutely had to. And he had been out shopping that day for things that he didn't really need, paintings for his office and decorations for his house. And he came back in with all these goods and was welcomed by the warmth of his dorm building. But as he was walking in, a chambermaid, someone that worked to clean the bathrooms there, was walking out. And she didn't have on a jacket. And he said, what are you doing? <laughs> you can't go out there in this weather wearing that. And she said, well, I have to, and I have to get going now. It's a long walk. And so he said, well, at least let me buy you a coat. And he reached into his pocket and he realized he didn't have anything left. He had spent it all on the things that he was carrying, and so she said, I'll be fine, and she left, wearing no jacket out into this winter storm. And all night, it bothered him. It kept him up because he didn't know if she made it or not. And he felt convicted. Every time he looked at these paintings, he said, and I quote, he saw her blood on the paintings. God had given him everything that he needed, but he hadn't set anything aside in that moment to love his neighbor. Even though he claimed to love his neighbor, the fruit of that situation said otherwise. Like a thief in the night, it arrived and brought into stark clarity that he had been caught up in the current. Well, from that moment on, John Wesley decided to shape his habits to be generous and serve God intentionally instead of wealth. And we'll talk about more what this transformation looked like for John Wesley during the coming weeks. But from that moment on, he decided that each year when he got a raise, he would raise his standard of giving rather than his standard of living. And so what that looked like was he lived on the same 30 pounds every year throughout his life. Even when he made 40 pounds and then 60 pounds and then 100 pounds a year, he lived on 30 and gave away the rest. And by the time John Wesley died, he was making 1,400 pounds per year. And he was living on 30 and he was donating the rest. He shaped his habits in a way that he swam against the current. He chose to put his treasures where his heart was. Well, today I want us to come away with something important as we begin this journey together. And this is foundational for what it means for us to live generously. And that idea is this. As Christians, our intention and our stated beliefs 
aren't the measure of our faith or our generosity, and instead we can see the evidence of our faith by our fruit. And our fruit is grown not by big, grand gestures or declarations of our belief, but instead they're grown day by day by shaping our habits and the ways that we live. All through this month, we're going to be talking about what it means to live generously and why this habit of giving is such an essential transformative part of our faith. And we're going to talk about how to turn away from this current that is pulling us from the love of money. And we're going to visit John Wesley's rules on money that we try to abide by as Methodists. And together, my hope is that we'll pray and look at what the next step is in growing our habit in giving and generosity, what it means for us to give to heavenly things, the bright hope for tomorrow that is promised by God. And the foundation for all of this, the whole reason that we give is rooted first in the ways that God has given so much to us. Today is World Communion Sunday, which means that all around the globe, Christians from all denominations and backgrounds are joining together at Christ's table to once again receive the gift of God's grace through this holy sacrament. And as we collectively approach this table, each congregation will take time to remember the Last Supper, to remember how Jesus explained to his disciples what he was about to do on the cross, what he was about to give himself, all of himself for our sakes. And as we join together in our confession and pardon, you'll hear the words of our liturgy, the good news that is our greatest gift. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, and that proves God's love toward us. We didn't earn any of that mercy or grace. It was freely given as a gift to us as the children of God. And today, God's grace shapes us to be a little bit closer to that generous spirit. Let us approach the table together with remembrance, with reverence, and grateful hearts for all that God has given. Amen.